two friends, Alan Dale and Jerry Carew, who grew up just a few streets apart in St. John's East End, have been separated by Canada's geography for three decades. They came together virtually during the pandemic to chat about like-minded interests. Alan lives in PEI and Jerry in Newfoundland. Thriving in remoteness has been a common theme for both of them during the pandemic. Gale Force wins. The podcast is the result. Welcome to Gale Force Wins. I'm Alan Dale, and with me as always, my good buddy from St. John's, Newfoundland, Jerry Carew. How are you, Jerry? Doing pretty good. Uh, your internet connection seems a little unstable there today. We were just ban- having some banter with Karina about technology, and hopefully, you know, up to this point, Alan, I think we've got like 48 hours of, of interviews recorded, and uh, fingers crossed, you know, this will be the time that it'll all crap out on us. But uh, no, it's been uh, it's been a wonderful experience. I'm really looking forward to Karina Walsh. I work in St. John's. I've never met you, but I hear good things about you. And I think what what we're hoping is that, you know, your journey will inspire someone. Simple. Hey, Alan. 100 percent, Jerry. And uh, really, I mean, the podcast is all about celebrating success. It's all about the good things that are happening in and around Atlantic Canada, in Newfoundland specifically, a lot of good things happening. And we're certainly looking forward to hearing your story, Karina. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I am a certified coach, certified professional coach, and I run my own leadership coaching and training company called Shift People Development Inc. So basically, I provide group management training as well as one-on-one leadership coaching. And I started my company with a mission to try and help other companies understand how to truly build people first engaging companies because engagement employee engagement rates globally even in Canada tend to be pretty low and I don't think it's that hard to build the kind of company where your employees actually can't wait to come to work every day and that is really the mission driving my work and I chose leadership development because your relationship with your direct manager is going to have the biggest impact on how you feel about showing up for work every day. So I'm passionate about helping new managers own their leadership voice and step into that leadership role. And I'm also passionate about helping those managers get to the next level of their career so they can truly become the leaders uh, that they were meant to be. So that's, that's me. I live in St. John's, Newfoundland. I'm a mom of a ten, very energetic 10-year-old boy and uh, trying to na- navigate that homeschooling last year was definitely a bit of a challenge, but uh, it's all good. We're, we're here and we all survived. <laughs> so Karina, you just summarized kind of the, your vision and, and what you're doing at you know, and, and I, I loved how you said, you don't think it should be that hard or it's easy to do. That's a, to me, that's a true sign of an expert. When you think that it's really not that hard to do, clearly, you know, you're, you're thinking differently. And that's very interesting, right? So where does that all come from? Like, where does this, this desire for leadership, where does it, where is it rooted? Where does it come from in your background? How did you get here? I'm really glad you asked that question. Uh, so basically, if we could go back about, you know, 10, 10 to 15 years, I was uh, you know, a very ambitious employee working for other organizations. And no matter where I went to work, you know, I would start every new job with this energy and enthusiasm and just wanting to do my best. 
had just, you know, months into any new job, working for any new company, would just run into these same obstacles. You know, the, the disengaged manager who didn't care that they were there. I mean, how hard is it to get motivated when your own manager doesn't care? Um, bizarre company policies that were getting in the way of innovation and this, you know, this notion of that's not how we do it around here. And working with teams of employees who were also very disengaged. And it, I, I think I was about 10 years in to my career. I had changed jobs a couple of times. Wherever I went to work, it was the same. It was the same low morale. It was the same uh, lack of, of strong management and leadership skills and leadership voice doing the right thing. And it got to the point where I would be sitting in my office and I'd be here, like, not to freak anyone out, but almost hearing voices. And um, the voice would just be saying, oh my gosh, there's more out there for you. This is not it for you. Uh, why is it the same everywhere you go? You can do something about this. You have the power to do something about this. So I had a decision to make as to whether I was going to try to thrive within these, these negative workplace cultures, within these organizations that were not designed for their employees to thrive, or I was going to go, go it on my own and try to make a difference in the world. And my son had been born about, um, well, two years prior to me kind of having this, uh, this Jerry Maguire <laughs> awakening. <laughs> and uh, uh, I just thought, oh, man, I can't, I can't not to do something about this, about the low morale and the negative workplace cultures. I have to create something better for my son so that when he gets into that workforce, um, he's not dealing with some of this, these challenges that I'm going through. And that's, that's what, what drove me. I was always the person in the workplace trying to, to come up with the new ideas and change the way we do things and make things better. And unfortunately, if everyone else around you isn't on the same page, you feel, you just feel so trapped by that and, um, feels like you're always hitting a brick wall. So I made the choice to leave and start my own company to try and help other businesses who wanted to take the, you know, the same approach that I wanted to take. Karina, not to make light of what you did, did you take the goldfish with you? I just want to, I need to know. <laughs> I just fished in and I got that goldfish. For, and I for said, anyone who's just... seen the movie, Jerry Maguire they'll, <laughs> Maguire, they'll understand what we're talking about. That's uh, Alan, you know, this is exactly why we started the podcast. Um, I can't help but think about my own career and, you know, I've been in sales so my entire career has been a commission based. So I've been self-motivated, but you know, the, the in sales in particular, you need to motivate staff. If you don't, you won't have things coming in. You won't have revenue, but uh, yeah, I mean, I can relate to the experience that you've had. It's a dramatic shift, however, to be able to go out on your own. Just what was it like? Cause I, I tell you, you know, Alan and I were on our own. It's, it's uh it can be lonely it is. on your own, right? Yeah, it can be very lonely. And you have to be like, I love that you said self-motivated. If you are not highly self-motivated, entrepreneurship might not be, or, or sales might not be the path for you, right? What it was like for me was probably, I would describe it as 50% uh, terrified and 50% exhilarating, right? It's exhilarating to take control of your own future and go out and try and forge your own path. And it's terrifying because what, what if you have no idea what the, you know, what's going to happen when you do that? You're taking a huge bet on yourself, but honestly, 
is there a safer bet to take than betting on yourself? Really? Um, I also, I made two transitions at the same time. I can't say I highly recommend doing that. Um, but I quit my job <laughs> to start a business and moved back to Newfoundland and Labrador at the same time because my husband and I were living on the mainland and we needed help with the, with the children. So, uh, with our child, so we needed help from the grandparents. So we moved home and I moved back to Newfoundland and Labrador with no network. Uh, so it's, it's starting out in business naked, uh, no connections and, um, and built up that network from scratch and, am very grateful and overwhelmed at the client base that I've been able to build in this province and how I was supported because it certainly wasn't easy, but it's definitely been worth it. Yeah, that's fantastic. I I want to go back a few steps. Uh, When you were talking about, you know, you walked into every job and you were engaged and excited that's great, right? I, I, I often tell people I'm like a light switch. I'm on or off. When I start something, I'm on, right? And, and, I, I, and can vouch, go, right? I can but, vouch for that after being in business with yeah. Alan since December 2020. It's on or yeah. off. Yeah. And when I'm off, I'm off and I get disengaged <laughs> and, I, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I don't uh, in, enjoy it anymore. But you talk about that disengaged workforce, the manager that doesn't care, the people that are just what I like to call mailing it in, right? Why do you think that exists? And uh, why is that present now? There are a lot of reasons. And uh, we could be hours here unpacking a lot of those reasons. And there's been a lot of research done on that. But I also have my own experience to draw from, of course. Um, I do think that there's an element that some people are not in the right careers. I do think there's an element that a lot of people are not working in, in things that they're passionate about. You know, uh, you you're kind of encouraged to go down a certain path maybe when you graduate high school whether it's college university a trade whatever and we're not really encouraged to explore what's going to make us come alive so we end up in an occupation where there's maybe a lot of jobs in that moment when we're graduating i I do think there's a bit of a, a mismatch a lot of people not working in their passion I think that what i've seen as well is uh absolutely is poor management practices So in my work, I'm giving managers positive leadership habits that will inspire their team. I think that there's still a lot of outdated leadership habits that need to um, get weaned out of companies now and replaced with modern day leadership habits. And the pandemic was a fascinating experiment in that because we had no choice. We had no right. choice but get rid of um, the, some of the outdated management practices and bring in bring in what employees really wanted in the first place. Uh, so right. the the leadership and the management habits and practices, one hundred percent, are a big big part of why people are so disengaged. Um, I think a lot of companies mean well, but and, and want to create a good place to work. I don't think they quite know how in terms of actually asking their employees what they want. My work comes from the philosophy of we do not guess what your employees want we ask them and then you have to be prepared to give it to them which is which is where a lot of companies uh, I don't hear back from them uh, because they're not prepared to do that unfortunately so there's a lot of reasons for disengagement Um, I think a lot of people don't know what their passion is and aren't working in that area but for me it falls back on the management and leadership practices as well 
Karina, you talk about before and after COVID practices and kind of leadership attributes, I guess. Give me an example of a before and an after. I'd be curious to, in your opinion, what those look like. Well, you know, for years, employees have been asking for more flexibility. They've been asking for the ability to work from home. And it's only been the few progressive companies who have recognized that, you know, it's perfectly okay to have a remote workforce. And it's, it's often the tech companies that, that led the way in that. Um, and then, you know, and companies were really good at having excuses and reasons for not allowing their employees to have more flexibility, work from anywhere, work from home. And then the pandemic hit and you didn't have any excuses anymore. You had no choice. And now uh, you're, you're going to see a divide and it, it's happening already, right? The divide where those companies will, will continue to go down the road of what their employees want, allowing the remote workforce, providing a hybrid workforce um, versus the employees who are going to try to come back to old school. And um, it's for someone like me, it's sitting back and, and observing in a non-judgmental way and, and being very curious as to how that's going to work out for everyone. Yeah, listen, I, I couldn't agree more. The pandemic uh, companies did it out of necessity as opposed mm -hmm. to uh, the fact of a desire or listening to their employees. I think the next phase, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I've thought about this as well, is that it's the desynchronization of the workforce. So as opposed to ex expecting everybody to kind of be at your post from nine to five and responding to phone calls and that, that normal way that we do business where we all come together to do things and then go home at night, I see it more as a desynchronization of here's what we need to get done get it done on your own time in your own place and deliver. Do you see that as the future as well? I certainly hope it is. Um, I've seen a lot of posts on LinkedIn the past, you know, few months about uh, from, you know, from various uh, employees, managers, companies all over the world saying, you know, we don't care anymore. Uh, if, if it's nine to five, we're going to give you a set amount of work to do. You get it done as, as, as well as you can in the time that it takes you to do it. And then that's it. They're not expecting that typical 37 and a half hour work week. That is definitely the way that, again, those future focused, people focused companies are going. I will say that even that approach is going to have to come with some boundaries, right? Because every decision has unintended consequences. So mm. I've even already noticed that the companies who would take that approach, that desynchronization, as you call it, there's going to have to be uh, some rules and boundaries around that. I know we don't like the word rules, but um, some boundaries around that because it works in theory. It can work really well in theory, but then if you have people on different schedules and there's no boundaries around how many times people are going to message you on Teams and you know when you're going to be available, we could run into that situation again where people uh, think that they don't have to be in the office, you know, 40 hours a week or whatever, but yet at the same time there's an expectation that they're always going to be available because we saw that happen with when smartphones came into play, right? Had that changed? Had that changed our workforce? So yes, I'd love to see companies, you know, moving away from the hourly workforce to this kind of, uh, this is how much work has to get done, making sure that you understand what the unintended consequences around that must be. Yeah, you're 100% right about the smartphone there. I remember, I don't know how many years ago it was, 
wanting to have a blackberry right is i want to i god i wish i had rethought that decision you know that and delayed that by 10 years because because once you had it you were locked in you were 24 hours you you were responding to that thing and then over time it just became a habit that you responded you didn't even realize that you were responding to the thing but you're so right you make a decision like that there's consequences that need to be quite understood I want to unpack uh, something that you talked about uh, and that I know that that Jerry and I are both very passionate about, and that's leadership, right? Leadership mm-hmm. is so important and leadership can come from all directions, right? It doesn't, it's not necessarily by appointment. There's people within all the organizations that are providing leadership in very, very sophisticated ways. Talk to us a little bit about your philosophy around leadership. Absolutely. Uh, this is my, this is, Aside from employee engagement, what I'm absolutely passionate about, of course, is leadership. And you're right. Uh, you don't need to have a title to be a leader. My philosophy is that leadership is more about the qualities, the characteristics, and the behaviors that you exhibit. Uh, I do have very specific training and coaching around leadership development. And it's more related to the role that someone is in, of course, whether it's a frontline manager or mid-level manager. Uh, But the term itself, leadership, I mean, that's available to anyone. Those behaviors and those qualities are available to anyone. You don't necessarily need to be in a specific leadership development program to be considered a leader. And I've had that. I've had people try to register for my programs or register for coaching so now they can call themselves a leader. And I'm very quick to to make sure they understand that that's not what it's about. You know, when you come into one of my programs, you're gaining a skill set, you're gaining knowledge, tools and habits that are going to help you be better in your role but the title of leader is something someone else is going to give to you. You know, it's not necessarily something that we get to walk around. If you have to tell people you're a leader, are you a leader? hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. It's like telling someone you're trustworthy. Hmm. <laughs> exactly. Karina, That's right. You really do have an interesting business. Uh, I can't help but think Alan, you know, how, challenging it is to change the culture which essentially is what you're doing and when you talk about some of those leaders that kind of need to be weeded out there's still an enormous number of them around Um, how do you deal with that can you just give us a sense of like when you waltz into a company how do you deal with that that's a really good question so if, if you're not willing to come to the table And if you don't have kind of that basic level of self-actualization and self-awareness, there's not a whole lot I can do for you. You're not necessarily going to be a fit for my program or any of my programs. However, then it becomes about minimizing the impact that you are having on everyone around you at work. Mm. So it it might be a rather difficult, what we would call difficult conversation, whether the conversation comes from me, which sometimes companies like to do because they don't want to say it. Uh, or whether I coach and train someone else to have a conversation with that leader. And again, it will, it will be about, you know, you're going to keep working here and here's how we're going to minimize the impact of your attitude, your approaches, your management style. Or, um, you know, if that person is open to doing some work on themselves, then obviously that would be 
the path that we would try, but you have to be coachable. And if the person isn't coachable, there's not a whole lot I can do there. Uh, but it really becomes more about minimizing their impact. And then it also becomes about me helping the other leaders understand how to lead and do their jobs with this person still around. I guess, for lack of a better term. So just because you have this management style over here and this leadership style over here, and maybe it's not as positive as it needs to be, you can't let that bring you down. You know, it's, it's Simon Sinek who says, um, you have to be the leader you wish you had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's fascinating conversation <laughs> because, you know, in my 30 year experience, some of the leaders that have been the most successful from a revenue generation standpoint, frankly, I'm trying to be charitable. Many of them might watch this. They've been arseholes. Um, And and I tell you, there's collateral damage around it. My role as a middle manager is always, I worked hard to mitigate the collateral damage around a couple of those people. So, you know, I, I know, I don't, you know, it's a, t- it's a tough topic, but it's one that I, I know, Alan, you and I both said we're very passionate about. Again, Karina, you know, it is difficult, I think, what you're doing, uh, because the culture runs deep. And if someone is driving revenue, and they're bringing in a lot of money, it's hard then to change that, you know, I, and I, I'm coming from a private sector background where I've seen that. But I also seen the other managers that have brought in a lot of revenue and have a team that would, uh, you know, jump over a cliff for the leader. So I struggle. I'm still struggling with leadership after all these years. <laughs> Listen, it's not it's not black or black or white. There's there's so much gray area. Uh, and what you're saying is true. You know, the traditional qualities of leadership. Uh, from the past were were that you know that command and control that driver the aggressiveness but that's it, it, I'm really seeing that less and less especially with the you know all these fast growth tech companies who are people focused culture focused and the argument that I make if I do still run into a company who's like well this person you know is a big revenue generator or they do this or they do that the argument I always make is have you stopped to consider the cost of having this person here Now, I don't advocate for firing anyone. That's a last resource. But I do point out the cost of turnover, the cost of sick days because someone doesn't want to deal with this manager, the cost of avoidance, the cost of uh, sick leave and and, and, uh, short-term stress leave and all of those things. And those things come with the cost. So revenue generating over here, but what's the cost of keeping them? over here and that has to be considered and there's been a plethora of work and study and research done on that aligned with my own experience of course um, that it might not be helping the company as much as you think it is and I've had this I've had this conversation with many 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 business owners um, about this one employee who's the expert but they're driving everyone crazy they're the one bringing down morale oh but I can't get rid of them because they're so good at this but what is it doing to the rest of your company? You have to look at the big picture. You can't look at one metric like revenue. You have to look at the big picture. 
you got to get that uh, 30,000 foot view down to see how it all affects. Do, do you think most people, Karina, are coachable? Oh, such a hard That's a big question, question Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Karina, we're putting you on the hot spot here now. We said we weren't going to throw any hard questions at you, but it's such a beautiful topic. Anyway, sorry, it, I don't know. It, no, it, it's absolutely. And, and the question uh, comes because it's a, it's a genuine question that I have. Like, I, I find that when I deal with people, whether it's in business or, or personally, and, and you're at a bit of an impasse, I always try to look at it from their perspective and try to figure out where they would see value in what we're trying to do. Some would say you give a vision and then you try to help situate that person in the vision, show them where they fit in it. And that's, and I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a coach, but I I see that as kind of, that's how you coach people. You kind of have to help them. So in, in that respect, I guess I'm, I'm thinking well, most people, if you can show them that they, they would be coachable. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. It's such a great question and a very hard one to answer. I love what you're describing as a, as a coach approach. And yes, what you're describing is very similar or it's, it's a technique commonly used in coaching for sure. So you're absolutely on the right track. Coaching really is about helping someone see a better future for themselves and then helping them build the path to get to that better future. 100% that it, that's what coaching is. Is everyone coachable? I have watched um, my fellow professional coaches get, get into heated debates about this question, about the answer to this question. I can only tell you from my experience, the short answer is no, not everyone is coachable. In my experience, you need a minimum level of self-actualization and self-awareness to be coachable. With that said, there's exceptions to everything. I think that there are brilliant coaches out there. I know there are who could coach someone who I couldn't. Mm -hmm. I'm the, my coaching is best for the high performers. And a lot of coaches decide that they're going to focus on working with high performers. Uh, There are coaches who are definitely trained and equipped to work with people who need to even get to the point where they're coachable. Uh, That's not me. I fully admit that, not ashamed or embarrassed to, to admit that, that I know where my, my strengths are. I know where my training is in coaching. And I'm definitely the coach for the person uh, who's already on that track. Um, but I think there are other coaches out there who could work with people uh, who wouldn't be a fit for me. Absolutely. You know, I, I and, and Jerry was as well, both had kind of a military background, came from a very hierarchical organization where sometimes it's difficult to if the person uh who's complicated or maybe um maybe costing the organization more than they're adding to it you know not not necessarily in a in a revenue standpoint but just in general the general operations of the organization sometimes that person is near the top and it's very difficult to have a conversation with that person i always found in the military, there's one or two people that you could always rely on to say, look, can you talk to the person? Yeah. And that would be the type of person that would go in the, the other person's office and shut the door and say, listen, <laughs> this is what's going on. You must rely. And I think you touched on that a little earlier, Karina, when you talked about maybe 
coaching somebody else to speak with them. Talk to me a little bit about the importance of that, I guess, I, I, I would call it speaking truth to power, but how you go about coaching somebody to kind of have the conversation with somebody that maybe most can't. Mm. Yeah, and there's there's various techniques around that, right? Um, there's, a, there's a whole study and practice called neuro-linguistic programming that is specifically about trying to understand someone's communication patterns so that you, so that typically if the average person can't get through to them, you know, if you understand what their underlying communication patterns are, you might have a chance at getting through to them. Um, when I am working with someone who has to go try and talk to that person, we go through several different techniques that might work, you know, um, and it's, it's a lot of the communication techniques. It's the mirroring. Uh, it could be mismatching. There's all these coaching terms and coaching uh, techniques that we try. But I find regardless of what type of, type of communication techniques you're going to, tr going to try, it's about trust. And, you know, you're looking for someone who has a trust relationship already built with that person and who can really get through to them in that way, in a, in a, in a trusting uh, way. I find that to be more important than any type of communication technique that you're going to use. Yeah, 100%. Now, you do, you kind of work with groups, right, and help them kind of uh hone their leadership and their culture and the stuff you also work one-on-one -on -one with people so uh tell me the difference between like group settings and and, and that one-on-one -on -one interaction like how, how does that play out yeah so in my group programs it's really about skills development and gaining the tools you need to be a good manager However, even within the, the group programs that I offer, there's still some spot coaching that's happening. So for instance, I might, uh, we might talk about how to give feedback effectively, but yet there might still be someone in the group who is struggling with the thought of giving constructive feedback to someone. So there might be some spot coaching on that around, you know, well, actually, do you, do you even understand the benefit of feedback, you know, and shifting their perspective in that way. And in group programs, there's a lot of peer coaching that's happening, which yeah. is, is just phenomenal, right? They're not relying always on me to bring the knowledge or the experience or the coaching. There's peer coaching happening in the group because it's shared experiences, it's lived experiences. And if you think about, if you add up all the experience in a group, it's way more powerful than the experience that I have, right? Yeah, of course. Um, in the one-on-one -on -one setting, it's completely different because one-on-one -on -one leadership coaching is more about the behaviors of leadership. It can be about shifting your mindset, shifting your perspective to gain, to tap into your own inner resources. So people will open up with me about the things that they can't share with anyone else, that they, they're not going to feel comfortable sharing in a group, even if the group dynamic is, is wonderful. Uh, there's still some things that people might not feel comfortable sharing in a group. So that's when the one-on-one -on -one coaching becomes so important. But I also, I always want to make sure that people understand that the group work is really about skills development and coaching is really about shifting behaviors and perspectives because some people will want to do the one-on-one -on -one sessions when they really need to, haven't even gained the skills yet to be, you know, a good manager. So it's kind of my right. job to make sure people understand where they fit. Now, Karina, you're a professional coach. Have you ever been professionally coached? Have you had a coach yourself? Absolutely. A hundred percent. And 
I should say that I don't know if it's a good idea to hire a coach who doesn't have a coach. That, that's what I'll say about that. Uh, at least had one in the past. You don't necessarily need to have one right every minute of the day. But yes, I absolutely have always had a coach of my own, whether it's a, whether it's a personal coach, uh, a business coach, someone to help with sales training or something like that. But right now I have two coaches. I have a business coach and I have a personal coach who's helping me on the emotional, energetic side of things and keeping, helping uh, to keep my head and my mindset in the right place because we've just been through this awful pandemic and, you know, there's, there's a lot going on and there's a lot of stress around that. So right now I have two coaches and I know I have fellow coach friends who have two or three coaches at the same time. Karina, it's funny. That's a great way to describe it. I've never taken a coach that hasn't had a coach. I, I love that. I, uh, I, am, I, I had a professional coach recently when I uh, started my own business, and I wasn't quite sure uh, how that would all go. I, I'd never had one before in my entire professional journey, and I wasn't sure how it would all work out. But I, I took a, a coach uh, and I walked through starting my own business. And I have to tell you, it was a remarkable experience. It was absolutely remarkable. In fact, I don't know I could have been where I got to so quickly without them. It was just, it was a, it was a really wonderful feeling of almost, I don't want to say letting go, but maybe exposing, showing some vulnerability to say, here's where... Uh, I feel my weaknesses are and, 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 and then the coach just leans right in and what I thought were insurmountable things, the coach just completely put at ease and showed me a pathway to get there. I thought it was the most remarkable experience that I've had professionally in a very long time. So I highly, it, it was to the point and, and, and uh, I'll tell you this, it was to the point I almost start thinking to myself, my gosh, I'd like to do this myself. Yeah. I, this is a seems like such a rewarding experience. You must get tremendous uh, reward from helping other people. I do. It is by far this is the most rewarding work I've ever done. It is also the most challenging. Uh, you know, running a business and doing the work at the same time. But one-on-one co yeah. -on -one coaching. I love my group programs. I love the energy that comes from my group programs. Uh, but the one-on-one -on -one coaching for me is where the magic happens. Um, I'm so glad you had such a positive experience with coaching because unfortunately some people haven't always had a positive experience, but I feel like I should be using you to market coaching <laughs> with that story. <laughs> um, I'm going to, I'm going to actually jump in there because it's funny. You, you mentioned that I saw a post, uh, there was a business development guy about three weeks ago, made what I would call a disparaging post. A uh, fairly lengthy one about coaching in general. I don't know. You might have seen it. Won't mention his name, but I, I didn't particularly like the post. You know, uh, you're a business development person, but the word coach, he kind of disparaged that. And uh, I know there are a lot of coaches that are in your face on Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram, in particular, with the video thing. Uh, and I guess, you know, is it somewhat the term overused a little bit? Because I know, now just before I answer that, I will say to Alan that I was on the receiving end prior to the pandemic of the time when Alan was being coached. And his communication to me was very different, 
very mm-hmm. engaging, made me feel fantastic. So I could tell Alan, you are on a very different path because of that. So I just wanted to position that as well. But Karina, back to the word and, and the whole industry, you know, what's your thoughts on that? Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because the term coach now is everyone wants to be a coach. You've got marketing coaches, coaches for coaches, sales coaches. Everyone is using that word because the coaching industry has taken off and everyone, there's a lot of people trying to capitalize just on that terminology alone. And there's a lot of people who don't even know what true coaching is. So it is very, very much buyer beware. Okay. Like anything else, it's buyer beware. Uh, what would, you know, if you were went out tomorrow to look for a coach, I, I questions I'd tell you to ask, you know, does that person have any type of formal training as a coach? Now I have formal certifications. That's not the only way to get to get your coaching skills. Maybe you got them informally. Maybe you got them from the workplace you worked at last time. That And that's fine. That's totally fine. There's more than one way to get the skills, but how and where did they get the skills would be my first question to have a coaching conversation. Um, what results did they get? What results have they gotten for other clients? And could you talk to one of them? You know, what is their process? Especially if it's like more business coaching as opposed to say personal coaching, do they have some type of process to get you from point A to point B? What is what is their technique? What techniques do they use? It very much is is buyer beware, and I would encourage people not to, you know, get into the hype so much. Um, I mean, there's these success coaches that pose outside the jet, you know, because they want you to they want you to (laughs) think that they're that successful. I mean we all see through that by now. So I think the best thing to do would be to ask around who has had success working with a coach, interview that coach. I always do free discovery calls. I would never go into a coaching relationship without having met with someone to find out if, if energetically uh, we're fit, if we, if we are a good fit to work together and you have the right to do that. And you have the right to meet with several coaches if you want to see who's a right fit for you. Um, I understand where the negativity might be coming from around coaching these days. Um, And I can also tell you that if you talk to people like Alan, who've had good experiences, we understand the power of coaching. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, it is, it's a powerful tool, right? I mean, you look at Olympic athletes and stuff. I mean, they have a series of coaches that help them tune and, you know, perfect what they're doing, but yet as business people or as government leaders, oftentimes we don't have anybody to to help us along the way. uh, I always used to joke with the teams of salespeople that I worked with, um, you know, Wayne Gretzky had a coach. I know I'm dating myself by bringing him up, but like if the, if the number one hockey player in the world can have a coach, then God, Bless us. We should be able to have one, right? Uh, Karina, difference between a a coach and a mentor. How would Mm. you describe that? Good question. Very good question, yeah. A mentor often gives advice. Right. A mentor often gives the benefit of their lived experience. So they might, you know, share, well, here's what happened when I did that. or, And, you know, they might make spend more time making suggestions and offering advice. Whereas if you're offering advice and making suggestions, you're not necessarily coaching. It's not true coaching, right? Coaching is about asking the right questions, asking those open-ended questions to help the other person come around to their own answers. Now, that doesn't mean that in my one-on-one coaching sessions, I don't switch hats from time to time. And even my coach does this, right? She will be 
coaching me in the truest sense of the word. And then she'll stop and she'll say, is it okay if I share something? And that's the key right there. That, that's the clincher. She'll say, is it okay if I share something? Is it okay if I share my experience or this suggestion? And I'll, of course I'll say yes. But in that moment, we, it, it's understood that the conversation has changed a little bit. Right. So that's a good coach. Yeah. Right. And so mentor, mentors usually are, are giving advice. They might be telling their experience as well, making suggestions. There's a time and place uh, for both, I think. Mm-hmm. 100%. Now, changing workforce, there's no doubt about that. Uh, the future of work looks differently. It was looking differently anyway. Before the pandemic, I think the pandemic just accelerated the way people view work and life and balance. And I don't think that people used to say work-life balance as if the two were separate and distinct. And I think now people are looking at, I just want this to be all encompassing. I want my life, I want it to be fulfilled in all directions. And it's just one big piece. It's one big pie. And it all has to kind of work together. Tell me about where you see the future of work and from Karina Walter's point of view, a person that's been in the workforce was not necessarily intrigued by the way it was going, decided that I'm going to get involved and make some changes myself, starting your own business and are helping other people down this path. What do you see the future of work looking like for people? I have young kids, Jerry has young kids, you have young kids. They're all going to enter into this workforce. What do you think it's going to look like? I'm hoping it's going to have a culture of flexibility, but that might be a little pie in the sky right now. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, You know what the future looks like. I just wrote an article on LinkedIn about the great resignation and what employees are looking for right now. And what I said was, is that employees are no longer looking for, you know, looking for a job or going to accommodate their life for their job. They're looking for work that's going to accommodate their life. So I think you're going to see a lot more of that. And and they are, employees are already quitting and looking for work that supports the kind of life that they want. You can't get through something like a pandemic without having a perspective shift and realizing what's most important to you. So a great deal of our workforce is going to be looking for that, that relationship where their work supports their life, not necessarily the other way around. I think that it's going to be that hybrid approach, really, right? You're still going to have people who need a structured approach, who want to go to work every day, and the type, and maybe they work in the type of environment where they have to be at work every day. And then I think you're going to have a huge part of the workforce, again, who's going to want that accommodation, who's going to want that flexibility. So I think we're going to be hybrid for quite a while uh, yet going into the future, and then we'll see if we have any other <laughs> major life events that, that shift our workforce again. And when you say support their life, of course, you're not just talking about kind of their family situation or, or, or that, or you're talking about their values and the like. I mean, they want to be involved in things that align with what they believe in, ethically and morally, and they want to be a part of that. And, and that's, uh, that's challenging, right, for companies and stuff to kind of understand that, but vitally important. Would you agree? Hugely important. Yes, absolutely. Um, And the funny thing is, in my management program, I actually teach managers how to do that. I teach managers how to have the kind of conversations that allow them to help their, their team members connect their work to the bigger picture. It might not seem like 
you know, this service or this product that we offer, you know, is, is life-changing or, or can contribute somehow to a greater purpose, but it can, you can connect almost anything to a larger purpose. And if, if it's not obvious that the company you work for is has the values and has that greater sense of purpose that you you're looking for you know a good manager can coach you in that way and help you connect to the larger picture so you can see the benefit of your work so you don't necessarily always have to switch jobs to find that sometimes it might be someone who can help you with that perspective shift and that's where coaching can really uh, play a role as well uh karina have you ever helped somebody transition out of their existing uh, job or, or lifestyle into a uh, into their passion. Have you ever done that? Brought somebody right over to their passion, <laughs> and how did that make you feel? I've definitely uh, I haven't had anyone who really wanted to transition out of their job. Uh, and like start a business like I did. I haven't had anyone wanting to quit their job. I've had someone, the, one of the last people I coached uh, actually was a very new supervisor who was not doing well. He hated being a supervisor. He was having a lot of trouble with, uh, with his employees and there was some aggression going on there. And by helping him shift his perspective and step into his and own his leadership role, not only did I get him um, being an effective supervisor and getting him to shift his perspective, he now loves the work that he's doing and has already asked for a promotion and has already been promoted to the, to the next level of management and has already tapped into um, and found a passion for the work that he's already doing. So it wasn't necessarily about, oh, actually, this is my passion, so I'm going to go do this over here and helping him find that. It was helping him find the passion in what he was already doing and owning that leadership role that he was in and learning how to step up. And he is happier than ever now working for the exact same employee. So employer, sorry. Um, So not always about leaving and finding something else. It could be learning how to love what you have. Yeah, exactly right. Now, I I noticed on uh, your LinkedIn profile, one of the things that you you mentioned is emerging female leaders. Let's talk about uh, female leadership. and What's different about that? Well, you know, um, female leadership is, I wouldn't say it's necessarily that different. The skill sets, you know, are very much the same. It's about helping women address any of the additional obstacles that they might face in their, in building their leadership career path. Um, So women, you know, I have women in this group program that uh, with the group of managers that I have right now. And one thing that's very obvious is that they're getting feedback that's really ineffective for them. They're getting feedback from their male manager. And again, this is not about, you know, men versus women or anything. Um, But they're getting feedback from their male managers that just isn't effective and it's not working for them. So for instance, a lot of the women I work with are getting feedback like, you need to be more assertive. You need to be more confident. Um, And that type of feedback is really not helpful at all because there's no, there's just no action behind it. There's no inspiration or motivation. You're just telling someone to be someone else and that doesn't work, right? Um, So I help female leaders take that feedback, go back and ask for better feedback and then we've got something to work with. And sometimes I even coach managers on how to give women better feedback. I have also helped managers understand the impact and consequence of giving women that type of feedback. Because when women do step up, when we do speak up in the workplace, when we do suddenly become more assertive and confident, 
there can be consequences for us. Mm-hmm. There's people, there's people that just aren't going to like that. Right. And there can be consequences for that. So there's a whole perspective shift around that about just just telling women leaders to step up. It's not that easy. I've also tried to get the point across to companies that women can and sometimes do prefer to lead differently. Mm-hmm. So the women that go through my group program, they often get messages afterward like, you know, someone just told me that I'm the best manager they ever had because they finally feel like someone's listening to them. They finally feel like they have a manager with empathy. And these are the innate skills that women already have. So oftentimes my women, the leadership development I do with women is about helping them tap into those strengths that they already have that we've been taught are, are an obstacle to us being leaders, but are actually our strength in today's workforce flip that right on its head right absolutely yeah Yeah. 100 percent. it's kind of (laughs) long-winded no 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 it's a it's a great explanation for sure yeah jerry your thoughts i know that uh that's a a topic that's of interest to you for sure well you know i grew up in a uh, house that was uh my mom was a widow so I, i i always um to be honest with you, to be a man and talk about this, I just, I want to come across as authentic because I feel that I am, but it's, it's a tricky subject Alan, for two white males to talk yeah, about this. Sure. Uh, and, and then, you know, I'm proud Karina yeah. of some of the guests that we've had on our podcast. Uh, we are frankly inspired by women leadership just as much as we are men. Uh, but from my perspective, you know, growing up in a, uh, household with a widow leading the charge uh it helped me frankly uh, mm-hmm. when i went into the workforce and was led by women uh, i did see some other male counterparts that were not that comfortable with it and it bugged the heck out of me because you know mm-hmm. i wondered you know do you have a mother do you have a sister so uh the fact that we're e- that it's even a topic is irritating frankly it shouldn't yeah. have to be but it is you know uh so anyway, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, Alan, on that, but it's no, no, no. It's pretty close it is to home. Topic, it is topic, Jerry, and, and sometimes it is uh, uncomfortable to kind of discuss it. I, I mean, I I grew up. My mother was from uh, the Battery, and I have four older sisters. I was surrounded by solid female leadership, wow. so I kind of, to me, I just take it for granted. That, but but for many, it's it's not uh, present. But you're right. I think. Karuni, you hit the nail right on the head. Many of the innate skills that women come equipped with have been suppressed and unlocking those is only going to strengthen our society and our workforce and our communities moving forward. And it's happening. The beauty of it is I believe it's happening. I honestly, there's a lot of work to be done, of course, but it's happening and we're on the right trajectory with that. And conversations like this help. Karina, we often ask our guests uh, to leave the audience with one small piece of advice. Um, you've had a great journey. I, I, when you started to talk about sometimes you felt 
disengaged in the workforce and you were going to make a difference. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I had goosebumps because I felt like you were talking directly to me. I felt that way in the past. And, and when you started to talk about the power of coaching, it really resonated with me because I had an amazing experience. My coach took me from a transition of employee to self-employed and I have never been more professionally fulfilled. And my coach was a big part of that, still is a big part of that. Um, so everything you talk about, I, I find really quite fascinating. What would a piece of advice be that you would leave our audience with? Yeah, the piece of advice I would leave is that if you are feeling disengaged right now, whether it's you have a job that you're not happy with, whether it's kind of just a general dissatisfaction with life in general, know that you do have the power to change that. A lot of disengaged employees kind of throw their hands up in the air and say, well, you know, it's the company's job to engage me. It's some, it's my manager's job to engage me. Actually, it's no one else's job to engage you. If you're not happy, if you're not feeling the, the engagement, what can you do to change that? How might you shift your perspective and change the way you're looking at things so you can feel more engaged with work, with life, with whatever it is you need. And if there's a voice in your head telling you something over and over again, it's time to start listening to that voice in your head because they probably know what they're talking about. <laughs> 100%. Jerry, your, your final thoughts on today's podcast. Well, as you're talking, you know, I can't engage in a conversation without a pen in my hand or a pencil. I'm taking some notes. Uh, I honestly feel, Karina, we've only scratched the surface. Uh, this is a topic that, you know, we've already said this, but that's uh, near and dear to myself and Alan's hearts. And, you know, they talk, people talk about family dysfunction. Well, I think company, company dysfunction is probably a bigger issue. Uh, and listening to you, you've, you've given great advice. Uh, one thing I wrote that I really, really, really like uh, in a province that needs people to bet on themselves, you said, is there a safer bet than betting on yourself? Wow. Like what a powerful statement. Mm -hmm. I, I, if I was going to take something away from this conversation, Alan, it's that right there because you Karina are betting on yourself and uh, you know, whatever doubts an entrepreneur faces every day. And believe me, we all know there's self doubts every day. Yeah. You uh, just summed it up for me. Is there a safer bet than betting on yourself? So uh, I think we would have you back because like I said, this is probably a four five or six hour conversation. And uh, we have the benefit of being able to invite you back if you'll come. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I could talk about this, any of these topics for days. <laughs> well, folks, uh, another wonderful edition of uh, Gale Force Wins. And, and what a great conversation around empowering yourself, around leadership, around that changing workforce and what that might look like. And, and, and what a great uh, conversation with Karina here today. Karina, I I'm sure glad you made the decision to come back to Atlantic Canada. And I'm also equally happy that Newfoundland wrapped its arms around you and embraced you once again and welcomed you back and allowed your business to thrive. 
there's no doubt in my mind, you're making a difference. You're helping people each and every day and making the world a better place that has to feel good. And the people that you're impacting, they're going on to do good things and inspiring other people. People will watch this podcast and they will take inspiration from it. And, and we thank you for that. I always like to leave the audience with my own piece of advice as well. And, and quite frankly, that that is the world needs more Karina Walsh. Thanks for doing what you're doing. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's so, uh, I'm very inspired by this conversation. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Gale Force Winds. That's Gale Force Winds, W-I-N-S dot com.